In this special episode of This is the Author in Conversation, meet best-selling author Robin Cook, author of Viral, in conversation with the audiobook narrator Scott Brick and director Richard Brewer. Enjoy! Richard Brewer, Robin Cook. Hi, Dr. Cook. How are you? I'm well, Richard. That's good to hear, having read your book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe you're going to be working with Richard, reading the preface here. Uh-huh. Uh, he's been directing me in it these last several days, and we're only about 150 pages into it. Uh-huh. Um, Is that how you do it, Scott? Do you read the book first, or do you? Mm-hmm. Oh, you do. You've already read the whole book. Yeah. I see. I'll tell you what, I don't know that I've ever gotten angrier <laughs> by, by, by the plot or just felt like more agita as I seriously, at the end of the day, I have to tell myself, I have to relax myself. I have to, yeah. you know, just mentally, okay, shrug it off, well, set it down. That's, that's terrific because that's really what I was trying to do. It's just unbelievable what's happened to medical care in this country. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when I went back to do the, we didn't do very much editing, but uh, I allowed myself to sort of get angry again just mm-hmm. doing the editing. Frankly, that's that's what we always look for, right? You know, when you when you're reading a thriller, yeah, you're reading a whodunit, you know, you want to be surprised, yeah, but you also want to feel this emotional connection, yes, and uh, oh my god, yeah, I just, and it's really because of private equity. Running after the profit, that's it, you know. They don't yeah. care whether it's health care or fossil fuels or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just how much profit they can get. During uh, the research for this book, I found out about a hospital chain that had acquired a hospital in a town of about 60,000 people. And they did the usual thing. It was a failing community hospital. They took it over raised the prices and reduced the nursing staff and just what they normally do. And then within a couple of years, they were suing over a 1,000 people in that town of 60,000 people at the same time and taking their homes. And there was one woman who had fallen down her back steps and broke her nose. And her bill of going to the emergency room for a broken nose was almost $20,000. And she had no insurance. And she ended up losing her house. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. One more medical bankruptcy in this country. Exactly, exactly. Just one more. And we've grown so inured to it. I just, I remember when I had surgery and I had paid for the the surgeon up front. I'd given him his 20%, nice chunk of change. The aftercare, the bill that I got was for two days. It was over Easter weekend. I remember I went in on a good Friday and I got released Easter morning, 48 hours, $200,000. Oh my goodness. God. Yeah. Well, it is a good thing that you did have insurance at that point. Because mm. actually, if you hadn't insurance, the bill would have been higher. Yeah. Yeah. Because this crazy way that they have yeah. this master charge situation and the reason for that is just to negotiate with the various insurance companies, but then they end up charging right. the poor people who don't have insurance, as I explained in the book. 
Dr. Cook, did I hear that you're, you're still practicing? Are you still? Well, I'm still very much engaged. Uh, I don't have a private practice any longer, and um, any surgery that I do is just to go in and kind of help out and keep my hand in it. So uh, to speak. So to speak. <laughs> I actually retrained again uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to go back to the intensive care unit if I was really needed. Um, yeah. But um, luckily, my hospital really didn't get that desperate. But I still think wow. of myself more as a doctor than a writer, even though I've written 38 books now. 38 books? Yeah. That's extraordinary. I, yeah. Well, just writing one, you know, I was a chemistry, math, physics major. I stayed away from those hard courses like literature <laughs> or writing. What led you to, because I remember Coma was the first book, yes? No, that was my second book. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had this idea in medical school. I was only at medical school for months in which I realized that medicine as a kind of a career was going in the wrong direction. And part of why I became a doctor is that I really wanted to be part of this profession that really devoted itself altruistically. But as soon as I got to medical school, I realized that it was being taken over by essentially business interests which is interesting because this book, probably of all of my books, this one really shows how bad that is. It's this attitude of private equity, the whole idea of whatever it is, whatever industry is, you maximize profit. And they couldn't avoid this $3 trillion industry because it's our major business now. Anyway, I saw that and I thought that part of the reason I became a doctor is that I had seen medical shows or read medical novels and it all presented medicine in the way that we all wish it were. And I said, someday I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write it more accurately. That's why I ended up writing my first book to try to write about something that I believed we were doing wrong in medicine. And this was back in the 70s, wasn't it? Actually, it was in the 60s. <laughs> in the 60s? So yeah. you saw this starting back then? Way back then, yeah. I will never forget picking up Coma and, of course, watching the movie when I was a kid. That scared me to death. Just absolutely chilling. Yeah. yeah when they told me uh, I was up for reading this book, I was like, oh, I can't wait. Oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> Did you start writing this book during the pandemic? Was it always intended to be a book that was dealing with the pandemic or did circumstances kind of work out so that you were able to kind of add that on later? I actually started the research for this way before the pandemic and started writing it before the pandemic began. But I felt that I needed to document the time, so to speak, of when I was dealing with the way health insurance is, and that is this kind of short-term health insurance problem. So I thought, well, I'll have to then deal with the fact that these characters are also having to deal with the pandemic. I could have written the book. It didn't need the pandemic necessarily, but it turned out that it worked out because it gave them more of a reason that they were having problems with their business and couldn't afford the COBRA premiums that they could have gotten. What made you decide to choose this case? And was it, is this a true story? Is it somebody that you knew, somebody that you read about? No, it's completely okay. made up. I like to actually include in, in all of my books more information about medicine that was dealing 
specifically with the problem of health insurance and private equity. But I've also been concerned about the issue of climate change and how that's going to change infectious disease. So I thought, hey, I can get this in as well. When I start doing the research, I have a central idea, and then I kind of build on it and think of getting in more issues that bother me about how medicine is changing today. I'm curious about your process. The book certainly doesn't go where you expect it to go. And when you were doing your research and coming up with this and plotting it out, did you always have that ending in mind? Did you always know where you were going to go? Or do you get led by the, by the characters that you create? Once I start the book, I really know where it's going. The reason for that is, is that I'm not really a writer. <laughs> I have to plan way in advance. I can't let the story sort of unfold on its own. I have to figure out how the story is going to go before I start the writing. What happens is when I write, I create my characters. I know where the story is going. I also do little biographies of these characters. So every time I switch in the story to another character or another circumstance, I review the biography and I try to get into character. When I do that, oftentimes the characters will say things that I don't expect. <laughs> And that's kind of the fun of it. And One of the things that I really enjoyed with the book is your secondary smaller characters, your process server, your insurance woman. They all have very individual personalities. And I guess that comes from your doing the biography because you see them very individually. I don't believe anybody is a throwaway character. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I, I think part of the benefit that I've had of being a doctor is that I am very sensitive to people. And... I've always liked to find out more than I need to know about my patients, for instance. Even though I didn't take those writing courses that I wish I had now, by going through medicine and being taught how important the history is to dealing with the patient, has stood me in good stead in terms of becoming a writer. One of the things that you bring up are this idea about a, you know, insurance advocate people helping you navigate the big business of insurance nowadays. In many ways, it seems like you're serving as an advocate as well, just letting people know that this is happening. Yeah. I mean, the idea that somehow our health system requires all these secondary people now, because that all adds to the cost of healthcare, ultimately. It's just such a tragedy that we need a billing advocate for you to understand your hospital bill. On the other side, hospital administrators will hire compensation advocates. In other words, how can the hospital earn more money? I um, fell in my backyard. I broke my collarbone about six months ago and had to have surgery to correct it. And I just remember when I was much younger, you go to the hospital, you get a bill. You know, one trip, one bill, you know, easy peasy, you're done. I got six different bills. You know, I had to pay the anesthesiologist separately. Yeah. yeah. You know, getting the x-rays, I had to go pay that guy individually. And if you don't stay on top of it, it's all too easy to see for our stories could wind up being just like his in the book. It's chilling. Yeah. I try to bring out some of those kind of issues to have people think about it and why it is that everyone in this country should have some sort of basic health care available, just like everybody has at least secondary education. It's the same thing. 
To me, I think the three things that government should be responsible for is basic health care, basic education, and defense. Those three things are what government should be doing, and, and yet it's evolved in this country by historical accident that the government is not involved in health care. Yeah. I'm hoping that this book, Viral, will make our Congress people, who I feel have been asleep at the wheel allowing health inflation to get so out of control, that they'll at least see that maybe some sort of public option is something that would be worthwhile. Oh, amen and amen. Your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> it's a very affecting book. And for those coming to this story for the first time, as Richard, our director here, warned me when I first received the book, he said, this will make you angry. This will get you hugely frustrated, but in a good way. And you've done a wonderful thing helping to expose a lot of these issues that every American needs to be aware of. So thank you for that. Well, I hope it's effective. I hope people really uh, call up their congressperson and say, hey, do something about this. It's been so nice talking to you, Dr. Cook. Well, likewise. And now, listen to a clip from Robin Cook's Viral, read by Scott Brick. Okay, you guys, it's 4.30 and time to get this barbecue show on the road. Brian Eve Murphy ordered, clapping his hands to get his family's attention. His wife, Emma, and his daughter, Juliet, were draped over the living room furniture in the modest two-bedroom cottage they had rented for two weeks across from a hardscrabble beach in Wellfleet, Massachusetts, just beyond the town's harbor. All of them were appropriately exhausted after an active, fun-filled midsummer day that marked the beginning of their final week of vacation. Because of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, they'd opted for a road trip vacation rather than flying down to Florida to use Emma's parents' empty condo, as was their usual summer getaway. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.